we just sang the words, I will put my trust in you alone. I want to ask you a question this morning. Do you trust Jesus fully and completely this morning? And if you do, do you trust him enough that he can lead you somewhere today that might be different than before? That might be stronger than before? That some way by his spirit and through his word, he might just take you a step further into what he has for you. So I want you to think about that. And if you can truly say, I trust Jesus, say it to him this morning. Say, Jesus, I trust you. I trust you to lead me this morning to the fullness that you have for me. When we speak about your spirit, Jesus, and we say we are called to be full and to be filled with the spirit of God, we trust you, Jesus, that you explain to us what it would mean that you have given us the spirit. Lord, I pray this morning, if any distrust is here for whatever reason, that the words of this song will be true over us, that we will build a life upon this love. It is a firm foundation and we can put our trust in Jesus Christ this morning. Thank you, Christ, that our trust in you is always, always, always there to produce fruit in us. It is never an abstract trust, but when we trust you and when we put our hands into yours and we say, Jesus, lead us, lead us to build our life right, we can step into greater fruit. I want you to, to kind of visualize how you just put your hand in Christ's hand this morning and say, Jesus, lead me this morning through your word, by your spirit. I trust you. I trust you this morning. Amen. You may take your seats. It was uh, just an ordinary day in the city of Jerusalem. And for most people in the city, it was probably a busy, bustling day. They had places to go and things to do. Um, the city kind of got a little bit busier because somehow there's some Jews that's arriving in Jerusalem from various nations that's come together, maybe visiting family, maybe doing business. Behind the scenes, there was a God in His providence who was setting up a moment. And there were all these Jews in the city doing their business. But amongst them, there was this company of 120 that devoted themselves to praying. And they devoted themselves to coming together and to pray. And who of you knows that when the people of God come together to pray, things happen. But it wasn't just like a, dear Lord Jesus, thank you for today. We pray that you'll bless this day. We pray we'll have a good day. Bless our kids. Help me at work. No, there was an earnestness in their prayer. 120 coming together to say, God, Christ, we saw what you've done on the cross. And you've promised us something. You've promised us that the help of the Holy Spirit would come. So we pray, will you come? And will that promise be fulfilled upon us? 120 people put pause on the busyness and the demands of everyday life. And the extraordinary took place. Do we still do that? Well, we're doing it this morning. We're saying pause to the world. We're going to come together in prayer. We're going to come together in devotion. We can come together in expectation that God is wanting to meet with us and speak to us 
through his word. And in this ordinary day in the city of Jerusalem, thousands of years ago, something extraordinary broke through the heavens and it changed the natural course of the day into something completely different. The day turned from the natural into something supernatural. From the natural moment of people just sitting together praying, waiting on Jesus, waiting on his word, knowing that he stands over his word to perform it and he has promised something. We're going to get together and pray and wait for him to do something. Out of that break forth the supernatural moment of the Holy Spirit being poured out upon the people of God. I don't know about you, but that gets me super excited. You definitely looked apart this morning. (laughs) That God would break through the natural world to bring us into that supernatural place of His Spirit. The Spirit of the living God, the Spirit of Creator God is about to fill the temple, but this time around, that temple will not be a building, it'll be a people. He's coming to establish his new temple. And look around you this morning. It is not in the stained glass windows. It is not in the beauty that we saw this morning. The temple is here and it's you and it's me. And on this ordinary day, the supernatural power of God broke through and the church was birthed. And since then, we are the temple of God. But if we look at those two words, full and filled, we've got to ask the question, are we living there? Full and filled. Because that's what he brought on this particular day to his church. They were praying and something powerful took place. And prayer has happened here before, but on this specific day, God had wanted to bring something unique. So this morning, I'm titling my message, Tongues of Fire. And we're going to investigate just exactly what happened in this moment. And the depths of what God did for His church, for His temple, not just meant for the 120, but consequently meant for every single one of us. And throughout this morning, I ask that you pray, Spirit of God, tell me, am I living full and am I living filled? Because if we trust Jesus, I believe He is willing to lead us to that place of being full and filled with Him. Tongues of fire. I hope you've got your Bibles here this morning, because the Word of God is going to lead us in understanding this. But let's open up in Acts chapter 2. We were there last week. We're going to be there again today. We'll be there again next week. We're going to see what God wants to speak to us about today. And let's read together verses 1 to 12 this morning to start us off. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, 
because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all those who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of them in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to the Cyrene, and even visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. This is the word of the Lord. There's so much in the story. <clears throat> These 120 got together. And the Spirit is poured out, and there's a mighty rushing wind, and all of a sudden they look one another, and physically appearing upon them are tongues of fire. I can't imagine how strange that must have been. <laughs> and it's interesting to see here that there were three different responses. Some people were amazed, some people were perplexed, and some people were mocking. Isn't that often how it works in our world? When the Spirit of God and the people of God rise up, some are amazed at it. Wow, Jesus. Wow, Holy Spirit. This is amazing. Some are perplexed. Like, what's this deal? What's happening here? And then the world out there loves mocking and saying, they're just a bunch of drunkards having too much wine early in the morning. New wine, to add the least. Isn't it interesting that they use the word new wine? What did Jesus teach his disciples? Just a little while back. You can't put new wine into old wineskins. And here, even the non-believers, those mocking, were decreeing the word of the Lord over what's happening in this moment. Because this was such a watershed moment for the people of God that even the non-people of God were saying, this looks like new wine. The new wine has come and the wineskin, his new temple, was ready to receive it. Some were amazed, some were perplexed, some ended up mocking it. See, when I look at this idea of the new wine, I can't help but celebrate that the Bible is full of connections. When we read the story and we understand what happened at other places and how this moment in Acts chapter 2 wasn't a standalone moment, but all of the story of the Jewish people has prepared them for this moment, I get really excited. Last night, we were at a wedding, and uh, people that we know, people from church, and their son got married, and uh, for the first time there last night, I was making the connections of how this family fits together. <laughs> I went around saying, okay, you are the aunt of so-and-so, and there's the uncle, and there's the cousin, and thank you, Jesus, now I know how these people fit together. I made the connections. It took me a little while to get there. And this morning, beyond the new wine that is clearly poured out upon this people, the new wineskin, the new temple, we're going to be making a little bit more connections. And I pray that as we make these connections, that you get excited to the level where I am, and even more so, that the Spirit of God is wanting you to make the connections so that you can connect with Him today and leave your full and leave your filled. Do you have faith for that this morning? If you don't, let's trust God that by the hearing of his word, faith would be produced. 
Because that's what the Bible says. Faith comes by the hearing of the word. So if you can't say amen to that, that's okay. I'm trusting God as the word is preached that faith would rise up, that you can leave here full and filled with the Holy Spirit. Because I believe it is time for the church to enter into that fullness like we've had before so that we can live as the people of God exclaiming his presence to the world around us. Come on, guys. I am fired up. The tongues of fire upon me. Can you see it? Amen. (laughs) Why tongues of fire? Man, this is fascinating. When we read something in the Bible, it's important for us to go and think, where's the connection? Where has this appeared somewhere before? Now, the word tongues is interesting. Because when we say it, we imagine the physical tongue of the human mouth, right? But it says, Tongues of fire came upon them, and they spoke in different languages. Both words, exactly the same meaning. Exactly the same word. So it looked like tongues, but it was about them speaking the languages. It was about the utterance of languages. And here it's clear, so that all the Jews who were there from every nation under heaven, isn't that pretty amazing? I can imagine those 120 sitting there, Jesus, when is this promise going to be fulfilled? And maybe God was sitting here and said, I'm just waiting for some of those Jews from Portugal to still arrive. Because <laughs> there had to be Jews from every nation under heaven. I know the world wasn't known that far yet, so let's just say Asia Minor. But I needed to wait for some of them to come here for this moment. And then tongues of fire appeared upon them. So these Jews were there, and we've got the Bible to tell us the full story. And we're going to go back right to very early in the beginning to understand what this meant. But to the Jewish mind, they also understood what the tongues and the languages meant. Was this the first time that tongues and languages were mentioned with many nations around the world? Are you guys making the connection yet? Anyone want to try and make that connection? What's implied by the tongues? Why tongues? Why all these different languages? Well, let's go to Genesis 11. Now, the whole earth had one language and the same words. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves. Let's pause there. The people were united as one. And because they were united as one with one language spoken, they said, you know what, if we come together, we can build a city that can reach to the heavens, and we can make a name for ourselves. Isn't that still the desire of the world today, to build a kingdom for ourselves? But in God's world and in His order, there's only one kingdom that should be built, and that's the kingdom of God. So He stepped onto the scene, and in a moment, we're going to see what He did there reminds me of what happened in Genesis chapter 3 at the temptation when the serpent said, you know what? If you eat of this fruit, you'll be like God. And here the people come together and says, let's build a city to the heavens so that we can be God. Let's continue to read. And then the Lord Yahweh came down to see the city and the tower. With the children of man, which the children of man have built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people and they have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be 
possible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. And then fast forward to what happened at Pentecost and we see the reversal of what happened in Babel. So tongues is a message of restoration. Of God saying, I'm coming to restore that which I have brought in because you were trying to build kingdoms for yourself. But now I am building a new kingdom, a new temple. Jesus has brought that kingdom and that temple and I am going to give you language to see this temple built. Continue to say, so the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth and they left of building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because the Lord there confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed him over the face of all the earth. When these 120 had suddenly these tongues, these languages of fire upon them, and they started speaking a language that all the people could understand in their own language and in their own context, God was bringing together and unifying a people for himself again. We read Acts chapter 2 and we miss the connection. We miss that this is the moment where the Spirit of God is given to the people of God to restore that which was chaotic before and divisive back then and bring it into unity and order. That's what the Spirit has come to do for His people. Tongues of restoration, God coming to restore a people fully unto Himself from every nation. Those nations existed because he dispersed them and he says, now today I'm reversing the plan and I'm bringing them all together. And in a moment we're going to see that it wasn't just for the Jews, but for all of us in this room. Not only were tongues of restoration, but it were tongues of realization. I'm going to build a new city, God says. A new people, a new temple, a new place of togetherness and unity, and it will have a new king. And this king will be called Jesus, and he will be seated in the heavens upon the hearts of these people. And the, thought, the words of the prophet Ezekiel comes to mind, I will give them a new heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Not only was this a moment of restoring what took place in Genesis 11, it was a fullness and a realization of the promises that God spoke through His prophets to the Jewish people all along. Let's read in Acts chapter 2. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. I mean, who drinks that early in the morning? But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Here's the realization. Here's what's coming through these languages, these tongues of fire. In the last days, it shall be, God declares, that I will, not maybe, not sh maybe think about it, not uh, if I feel like it, but I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, not maybe, not uh, if he feels like it. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. 
Jews, even on my male servants and my female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Hallelujah to God this morning that we are sitting in the realization of this promise. But are we living there full and filled? That's the question that we've got to keep asking ourselves. And I love this. The prophet Joel, now echoed here by the apostle Peter. Because that's where the church is established upon. On the words of the prophets and the teaching of the apostles. All flesh. And he lists them. Old and young. Male and female. Children. Every single one. God desires for the people of God to become the city of God where we build a city for His glory so that His Spirit can come and be the realization upon us to live full and to live filled. Yes, my heart skips a beat at this idea. I enjoy that we can live there. That's what we are called to. And the Bible takes us from that point and into the rest of the New Testament and through the, the pen of people like Paul, we understand that the fullness of the Holy Spirit is expressed in various gifts. There's not just one gift, but there's plenty of them. We read about the nine gifts of the Spirit. Do you guys know the nine gifts of the Spirit? Anyone want to remind yourself of that this morning? Gift of prophecy, word of knowledge, word of wisdom, discerning of spirits. The praying or the word of a, of a different language or tongue, the interpretation of that tongue, gifts of faith, gifts of healings, and gifts of miracles. He's given an array of gifts. And Ephesians says he is making his manifold wisdom, his varied color wisdom, known to the spiritual world through his church because we were given the gifts of the Spirit. The realization has come. Have you been living in the realization of this promise? We had a beautiful prayer moment this week. Some of us gathered in a home to pray for a family that needed prayer. And in that one prayer moment, we were just there saying, God, you have given us what we need. And we went together in faith with our Bibles open and we started praying and we saw six of the gifts of the Spirit manifest in that moment. Prophecy, discernment, tongues, interpretation, faith, and healing. That's what happens when we know that we are building with the Spirit, that we can live in that place of the fullness of the Spirit upon us. And like the Jews on this day, today can just be another ordinary day. Tomorrow can just be another ordinary day. Next week, the week thereafter, next Sunday, we can come here and be late like we are late every single morning. If you are convicted by the Spirit now, hallelujah, Jesus, for that. And we can get together in this room and sing a few songs and have a good message and feel good about ourselves and enjoy the nature and we can go home and we can miss out on what the Spirit wants to do. Can we be like those Jews who are in the room saying, God, I am 
praying, I'm trusting you, Jesus, for fullness, for realization of your promises. And can we allow the Holy Spirit to interrupt our ordinary days and come with his supernatural power into our natural world and set his church on fire because they were tongues of fire so that we can go into the world and see the world changed by the presence of God. There's a realization for us, church. And if you aren't living in that realization, you are losing out. You are missing out on what God did in this powerful moment. Those tongues were speaking to those people back then so clearly. What the prophets have said and what happened in Genesis 11. And on that day, those Jewish people knew what God was doing in that moment. But they weren't just ordinary tongues. They were tongues of fire. So let's talk about the fire. What does the fire mean? What does that represent? Just like the tongues, we've got to think about the connection in the Bible. Where do we see fire and what does it mean? You guys want to make the connection for a moment? Anyone want to be bold enough to say where the fire has been seen the first time? Hmm, that's great. I love this. Making you guys make the connections. <laughs> well, there's many places in the beginning of the story. There's the fire of sacrifices that's been made by the people of God as he was doing covenant with his people. And we see that from the beginning of the story when the reset happened after the flood. And then there's the fire that God gave Abraham and Isaac when they went up to the mountain to make a sacrifice, and a living sacrifice, and a bodily human sacrifice, but God provided a ram, pointing us to who? To Jesus, that will be the scapegoat, that will take that sacrifice upon him, so that we don't have to humanly sacrifice people, because he has become that for us. Time and time again, we see this thing, and then when the people of God exited out of their slavery, they were led by what? A column of? Fire. There it is. The connection starts coming. But then we see how the people of God came together and said, we're not going to build a city for ourselves. And in the heart of Solomon was the desire to build a temple for God because of his father David that had that desire to restore something to God of a place of worship. And they built the temple. And then we see the fire of consecration upon this moment. So the tongues of fire wasn't just so that it looked freaky and that the people could run around and like, wow, this is weird. These people must be drinking. I'm still trying to think how these people reasoned. They drunk, but where did that fire come from? Maybe there was so, so much alcohol in the new one that they used some fire matches to set these people alight. I don't know how they made those connections. But that fire was something that God wanted to communicate. And he wanted to communicate the consecration of his people, the set-apartness, the choosing of a people that he says, now you will be that city that I will be the king within. And you are now the new temple. Second Chronicles 7 verse 1 to 16, the temple is completed. And when Solomon finished praying, fire came down from the sky and burnt up the burnt offering and the sacrifices. The glory of the Lord filled the what? Where's the temple at today? Full? Filled. The glory of the Lord filled the temple. 
The priest could not enter the Lord's temple because the glory of the temples, because of the glory of uh, the temples, sorry, and the glory of the Lord filled it. When all the Israelites saw the fire come down from heaven and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down on the pavement with their faces low to the ground. Why did they bow down on the pavement with their faces low to the ground? Because they were worshiping God. Because a consecrating moment has come. Do we live there that the fullness of God and His fire is upon us? That if we walk in this world, people can't but bow down and say, God, you're amazing. Your power is in my midst. And because of that, I'm leaning down with my face to the ground. That's what He has called His church to. And when these 120 received it, the city went into chaotic responses, but there were those who were amazed in their hearts. They were standing in awe that God has brought his fire down again. Because for so long, that presence has been missing. And in this day, he consecrates for himself a people Again, he sets them apart, and they have become a what? A royal priesthood, a holy nation, set apart to exclaim the excellencies of God. We're going to read in a moment that they actually did that. They declared the mighty works of God to the people around them. We're going to keep making the connections. And our final connection this morning is what this means to you. So hang in there. But not only did the fire come down and the glory filled the temple, why did the fire come down? It came down to consume the what? The sacrifice. And thank you, Lord, for your full Bible and the connections. Because in Romans 12, verse 1 to 2, it says, Offer your bodies then as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do you want to know how you can worship properly? Not by singing on key with the worship team. Some of you are saying hallelujah because you cannot sing on key. Not by clapping in sync with the worship team. Looking around this venue, that's going to take us quite some time because there's a lot of white faces in the room. And our rhythm just isn't on point. Thank you, Jesus, that we are a diverse people and we've got those around us that help us clap properly. That's not proper worship. It's not a four-hour worship set. It's not your favorite playlist. Proper worship is saying, fire of God, consume me. Be a refiner of me. Come and burn away the things. Come and let this temple be consecrated, set apart. And when we live there, we can live free of sin and the filth that sin brings. And it's time for the church to look different than the world. And it happens when the fire of God burns upon us. If you're looking just like your neighbor's, acting just like them, living just like them, and there's no difference. No one is amazed and perplexed or even mocking. We've got to ask the question, are we living full and filled? Because there's a consecration that happens because of the fire of God that comes upon His people. 1 Corinthians 9 verse 19 to 20 emphasizes this again. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have from God. You are not your own. For you were bought with a price. Oh, that is so rich. Jesus bought us with his blood. Yet we think we are the kingdoms of our own castle. 
the kings of our own castles, our own kingdoms. We are the directors of our life. We worship creation rather than the creator. We like the things and we like living in this beautiful place. And please hear me out. I do. But I've got to be very sure that it's God and not the creation that I'm after. Because I can find myself hiking the mountains every other day. I can find myself doing all these amazing things, which I do and which I enjoy. But my priorities is in place. My priorities, I'm doing that to worship Him and to love Him for it. Because I am a set-apart people. We are a set-apart people. We've got to have moments where we set ourselves apart. Even the creation of family can easily usurp the place of Jesus on the rightful place of our hearts. And that can become the thing that we love pursuing. Five, six, seven weeks away from gathering with the people of God. And we've got all our reasons for it. But you've been bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. That doesn't just mean that it's just you living sin-free and trying your very best to not fall into temptation. That means... He was writing to the church. And if you go into the understanding of the, the terminology there and the, the words he used, it was a plural exclamation. You, the church, are the body of Christ. So within the church, the togetherness, the one place, the coming together, the pausing the world, there you get to become living sacrifices, honoring the Spirit of God in your life. It is a call of consecration. And then the scripture in Galatians come true. Then we walk in step with the Spirit, not gratifying the desires of the flesh, the things that we want, the things that we like, but then we honor God with our lives and the fruit that we bear in the Holy Spirit. We can all mention those nine fruits, love, peace, patience, joy, kindness, gentleness. We know them. We can say them, but they only become a reality when we walk in step with the Spirit and we are consecrated by the refiner's fire upon our life. Don't you love the connections in the Bible? Don't you love how it becomes so much more than just a story of 120 disciples receiving the Spirit and now we are the consequence? No, we are invited into the story and we are invited to live with that story today. And then, it wasn't just a fire of consecration, it was a fire of commission. It was an opportunity for the gospel to spread into the world. What happened is that these Jews came together from every nation under heaven. And then those who received the Spirit of God spoke the Word of God in new languages. It was a missional force that was unleashed that day onto the world. And today as the church, we are still meant and called and invited to live there. Acts 1 verse 8, Jesus said to his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. My disciples will receive the Spirit, the fire of the Spirit, and they will be commissioned into all the world to make disciples of every nation under heaven. Psalm 69 comes to mind which was repeated by the disciples in John chapter 2 when they were thinking about those around them. 
and said, zeal for your house will burn in me like a fire. Zeal for your people to build this kingdom, to build the city of God, to build the church of God, to see this new temple flourish in its fullness will consume me like a fire. That's the reason I get up every single morning and do what I do. Because passion for Him and His name and His kingdom and His fire upon my life consumes me more than anything in this world. In fact, the things of this world that is any lesser than that gives me a distaste to that because I love Him more than anything else. Like the psalmist can say, Who have I in heaven on earth but you? I have nothing in heaven besides you. My heart and my flesh will faint, but you are my portion forever. There's a fire in our souls that God wants for His church to live in. A fire of commission to take this message to the world out there. I was so blessed last night by walking a road with this couple that got married. They're not in our church. It is through the family that I now know, all of them, <laughs> that the connection happened. But they're on their journey to discover Jesus. And when the invitation came to consider doing their wedding for them, I knew that God wanted a fire to light up in their souls again. And we've had many conversations about Jesus and about the Word, more so than about being a good husband and being a good wife. That happened too. But last night was such a testament to the parents who stood there saying, knowing these two youngsters and saying, you know what, tonight is a witness of God awakening something in them because of the way they spoke about God in their speeches throughout the whole night. They said, we are awestruck that they actually honored God the whole night through. We didn't expect it. And all it needed was someone to say, I'll speak to them about Jesus. And that fire awoke in their own hearts, so much so that the lady who got married went and bought herself a Bible for the first time. That's the fire of God. It's in simplicity. It's in us, the church, saying, we have this fire. Let's take it to the world. And let's read one more time out of Acts chapter 10. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Later on in the book of Acts, we find moments where the mission of God has started. And the apostles are preaching the gospel and the Spirit of God falls upon the Gentiles. Because here is the key this morning for you and the connection that I want you to make is that the promise is for everyone. The promise of the Spirit is for every single one of us. It wasn't just for the 120 in the room. It wasn't just for those Gentiles in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. It is for the ends of the earth. It is for His church today. And we can live in a place where there's tongues of fire upon us, His people. Tongues representing what? Restoration. Tongues representing what? What's the second R word? I've got to go check myself. <laughs> Realization. Spoke a lot about that. Fire representing what? Consecration, being set apart for God. And fire representing what? The commission of His call upon all of our lives. The promise is for everyone. Now when the Spirit of God comes upon His church, 
It happens not just once, but continually. In Acts chapter 4, after the Spirit was poured out in Acts chapter 2, Peter and John were arrested and they were before the council and they had to do all these things. And the believers were doing what in the room? They were praying together. And then Peter and John was released and they went and they prayed with the believers and they prayed with boldness. And what happened two chapters after Acts chapter 2? It said the room was shaken and they were filled with the Spirit. So Peter and his men who were filled a couple of days before, a couple of moments before, was filled again. And then consequently, we see time and time again how the Spirit of God filled His people, not just once, but over and over again. And in the words of Acts chapter 2, how do we get there? It says simply, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the what? The gift of the Holy Spirit It was preached to 3,000 people on that day who repented and got baptized and they received what? The gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. That is us today, everyone whom the Lord calls to himself. I hope that these connections have awakened something in your heart this morning. The backstory of what God did here. Because that's what's meant to happen when we read the story of the Bible. To explain to us better what God has done. But it would be a missing moment if we leave here thinking that that promise was only for those. Peter stood up, the apostle, the one that God has called to start the church. The fire starter of this Jesus movement stood up and said, this promise is for everyone. That God has brought near to himself. And I look across this room. And I realize maybe for some of you. Understanding the work of the Holy Spirit is new. Because maybe you come from a background. Church background. Whatever background it might be. Religious background. Traditional background. That you always thought. Yeah there's that group there. That it's meant for. You never realized it's meant for you. I look across this room and there's many familiar faces that's been with us for some time. But just like Peter needed a refilling in Acts chapter 4 and again later on in the story, I'm just wondering, are we living fully? Or do we need to pray this morning for that fullness and that full spirit of God to be upon us? Maybe you're sitting here this morning and You've even joined in with the perplexed and the mocking crowd. Saying, you know what, that thing is not for me. Maybe it's been misrepresented. And I get that. There's been a whole lot of misrepresentation in the church world about the person and the work of Holy Spirit upon our lives. And that's sad. Because we've got the people of God missing out on this promise. But the one thing I do know Irregardless of where we find ourselves at as a people, the Spirit of God is here this morning, wanting to fill every heart, wanting to lead us to fullness. How did this happen? Did it happen by a special laying on of hands? Some people call me Duomini. I wonder why. That's an interesting one. If I look like it, please tell me. Then we've got to set that right. (laughs) 
No, it just happened by the people of God praying. And I know that the heart of us as a church and a community is to see revival. It won't come by calling ourselves revivalists. No, it comes through prayer. It comes by bowing our knees constantly, daily, pausing the world, consecrating ourselves, living in that mission of reaching the world with the love of Jesus. It's not just for us, it's for the world out there. That's where we've got to live to see revival come. But this morning, we're not going to get a band struck up to come and create feelings. Because sometimes we put that into the work of the Spirit. And yes, when the Spirit moves upon us, there's emotion. And that's beautiful. There was a whole lot of emotion in Acts chapter 2. Every time I cry out to God and say, God, can you come and fill me afresh? Something inside my soul and my spirit resonates with the Spirit of God. And there's a sense of emotion. It's been upon me this whole morning as I'm preaching because I'm excited about what God wants to do for us. They didn't have a band in the upper room playing some keys with some strings to make people feel like, here's the flesh of the chicken now. The Holy Spirit must be moving. They prayed. They opened up their mouths and said, Jesus, be Lord over this gathering. Be Lord over our lives. Be the one who continues to fulfill your promises. Jesus, you've given us the commission, and we want to run with it, but we know that you said we should wait. So here we are waiting before we run. And I know the world out there is busy and bustling, but here we are consecrating ourselves to you and your purposes. So Jesus, we wait on you. And if you trust Jesus enough this morning, can you pray that prayer? Say, Jesus, I wait on you. So please, I want to receive this promise. I want to live full and filled with the Spirit of God. So I'm going to create a moment for us to pray. If you need a little bit of space, because you know when we stump one another, when we're praying, you kind of lose focus. If you need to just space out one from your family so that you can focus on Jesus and pray to Him, do that. We can quickly scuffle around. But then we're going to pray this morning. And we're going to trust Him. That this promise will be upon us. That he would do a restorative work in us. That the realization and the fullness of this promise would be in our lives. That he would come and set us apart afresh. And that we would be a church on a mission to take the gospel to the world. So let's find a comfortable place. If you're comfortable where you are, that's great. But let's, let's close our eyes as we trust him this morning. And I want you to pray, because these people prayed. Even if you pray just with a soft-spoken whisper, that's fine. But let's pray this morning. Say, Jesus, I trust you, and I want the fullness of your spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Keep praying, keep asking him. Keep trusting.
I just feel to say this, I don't want you to presuppose what needs to happen. When the disciples came together to pray, they just stood on the promise and let Jesus determine the outcome. So we're not going to leave you measuring by anything that specifically happened. And maybe you've been holding back because you are afraid of what might happen when the Spirit of God fills you completely. But trust Jesus this morning. Because he's not here to embarrass anyone. He's not here to respond to any fear. He's here to give you the spirit of truth. And he said himself, the spirit of truth will guide you in all truth. We thank you, Jesus. Just keep on asking. Holy Spirit, come and fill me. Thank you, Jesus. If you want to open up your arms as a matter of receiving, do that. Say, Holy Spirit, come and fill me. One of the markers of the Holy Spirit filling us up is the conviction of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Jesus taught and said, my spirit will come and he will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So even as you're praying, you might become aware of something in your life that you need to repent of. Just like these did. And the invitation is the same. Repent. Be baptized. And this gift is for you. So I believe some of you in this room, as you're praying, you're feeling a disconnection from God and you're becoming aware of some sin. The Bible is beautifully clear about this. If you confess your sins, God heals and he cleanses you. So this is maybe an opportunity of repentance. Conviction and repentance is a gift, friends. It is a gift when the Spirit of God says, that thing in your life and that thing in your life is making you live in a way that's not set apart. The fire of my spirit has not burned that up in you yet. Let me come and refine you and cleanse you. So Spirit of God, if any of us in this room needs to hear your invitation to repentance, our ears are open. Our souls are open to hear what you say to us. Keep praying. Keep saying, Spirit of God, fill me. Speak to me. I have faith for this promise this morning. Thank you, Lord. Can I ask those of us who aren't too embarrassed to pray out loud. Can we just start praying? Let's just pray.
leave some of us, you've never prayed out loud. I want you, even if it means that you're turning to someone, let's pray with our mouths open and say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, we take this promise. We take this promise. Thank you, Jesus. I want to pray this morning specifically for those who desire spiritual gifts. We are encouraged in the letter of Corinthians when Paul wrote and he says, desire spiritual gifts. Have a hunger for it. Have a desire for the gifts of the Spirit. Those nine gifts that I mentioned. Words of prophecy, words of knowledge, words of wisdom. Discerning of the spirits, speaking in tongues. Being able to translate or interpret those tongues. Gifts of faith. Gifts of healing. Gifts of miracle. If that's you this morning, if there's a burning desire in your heart for the gifts, for this fullness to be expressed in the gift of the Spirit, I want you to stand this morning because I want to pray for you this morning. If that's you, stand up. Not just tongues. <laughs> we know that the full story shows that there's a fullness of gifts for His church. And we thank you for that this morning. If you're hungry, just open up your arms in a matter of receiving. When someone gives you a gift, you have to receive it. You've got to open up your hands and say, thank you, I take this. So as you stand before God this morning, see how he is giving you the gifts of his spirit to empower you to live the mission of God in this world. So Jesus, I pray this morning for your church. Lord, I pray, Lord, so many of us in this room has received your gifts, but you say that you gift as the Spirit wills. And Lord, it might just be so that today you give some of us with a different gift, with another gift, Father, with a new gift, Father. And we thank you for that. Thank you that it's clear that we can know what the gifts are, that it's not something beyond what your Scripture has showed us. So I pray this morning, Lord, for those who are trusting you, who is putting their hands into your hand and say, Jesus, I trust you lead me this morning spirit of God will you come and fill them so that they can operate in the gifts of the spirit as you will to give thank you Jesus for that thank you that we can pray this prayer in faith and that's not our effort that produces it but it's simply receiving it in faith so I pray for these this morning in Jesus' name, some of you might be seeing a picture. Some of you might wake up tomorrow morning and you've had a prophetic dream. Some of you might be speaking in tongues. Some of you might feel an urge right now to pray for someone that is sick. And you're going to lay hands on them and you're going to see them healed because the Spirit of God has given gifts to His church. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Thank you, Spirit of God. Can we all stand as we conclude this morning? Lord, just as that sound of those chairs, the flutter in this room happened, I pray, Lord, that there would be a new flutter, a new sound in this basin. Because we have prayed this morning.
and said, Jesus, we want this promise. I pray that you will continue to be the one who brings it to your people. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to lead your people in the fullness. I pray that next week we will gather and share testimony of what you've done this following week in changing people's lives because they've received the fullness of the Spirit. Lord, I bless your people this morning with knowing just how much the Father loves them. Jesus, you said that the Father will send another helper. It's a gift from the Father. It's the promise of the Father. I pray, Jesus, that your church would know that the Spirit has been given us so that we can do mighty works in this world for the name of Jesus. Not just one work at one place through the one person, Jesus Christ, but now through His church, mighty works are available for us to walk in. And Spirit of God, will you empower us this week and bless us with the fullness. Teach us how to live there. And let us not predetermine what it should look like. But let our trust in you be sufficient to know that you are doing a mighty work in our midst. Can we give God a cheer this morning for his word and his spirit. Here's how we're going to end today. We're not just going to play music and leave. I want you to take a moment to tell someone what you learned, what you experienced. Maybe something changed for you dramatically this morning. Please tell someone. Let's testify of what the Word and the Spirit did in our midst and celebrate with one another. Let's celebrate with one another. So let's take five minutes before we exit, turn to one another, tell one another what this morning has meant for us. If you're standing by yourself, quickly run down the line and join someone else. Let's be the church who share the Word and put it into action and then after that, if you're joining us for 3D Sunday, in about 20 minutes' time, we will be in the lecture hall. Please come and join us there. We're looking forward to meet you. Have an awesome, awesome week. Amen.